Okay, so we're back in lesson 19. If you have not already, this is Bible Braced, and we are going through the Gospel of John. If you are just joining us, you need to go back and listen to the intro to Bible study lesson. It's linked in the show notes. And then you will need to listen to lessons 1 through 18 to catch you up. So we are jumping right back into the text. We are in the Gospel of John chapter 2. And we have just had the miraculous turning of water to wine, the wedding in Cana. And in verse 12, we are leaving Cana and Jesus here went down to Capernaum and it says his mother and brothers and his disciples all traveled together apparently, and they stayed there a few days. So we were talking a little bit in the last episode about the fact that Jesus's brothers did not believe in his ministry while he was on earth. In fact, they seemed to be pretty antagonistic towards him about it, but that they both later, and he might've had more than two brothers, but at least James and Jude both later got their hearts right and repented and became believers in Jesus. And they were both instrumental in the early church and they both wrote books in the New Testament. So that's pretty exciting. So if we look at this map of Palestine, we've got in the back of our Bibles, we were in Cana in Galilee, which Cana is kind of on the Western edge of Galilee. It's about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea on that area of land there. And it is above Nazareth. So let's see if they were going to Capernaum in verse 12, where is Capernaum? Capernaum, Capernaum, Capernaum. Oh, Capernaum is actually off the Sea of Galilee, but it says he went down to Capernaum. So I'm guessing Cana is up in the mountains and that Capernaum is down. It's a journey of lower elevation because it is not down as far as south of of Cana. So they go from Cana to Capernaum and they travel together. And we know from looking at our little measurement here on the map that that was a journey of about 20 miles. So it's probably a day's journey, maybe with a mother with him. Maybe it would have taken a couple days, but it says they went down and his mother and brothers and his disciples and they stayed there a few days. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So they were there in Capernaum for a few days, and then Jesus is going to go up to Jerusalem. So again, we're talking about elevation here because Jerusalem is south of Capernaum. So they are going up into Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, what's interesting here is it says just Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I think we can assume his disciples went with him, but maybe not his mother and brothers. So maybe this is where they parted company because later on we see the disciples mentioned in this text, but we don't see that his family is there. So it could be that they were stayed in Capernaum. So it's kind of interesting. Okay, so getting into the end of chapter two here. So the Passover is near. So Jesus has gone to Jerusalem with purpose. Verse 14 says, And he found in the temple courts those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated. So this, right off the bat, is really, really, really not good, okay? So in the temple courts, people are selling oxen and sheep and doves, and there are people there to change money. So this is totally against how the temple was supposed to be run. Let's see if Pastor John has any notes for us here in our study Bible. I'm sure he does on this part. So 
chapter 2, verse 15 says, As John recorded this cleansing of the temple at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, the Synoptic Gospels recorded temple cleansing at the end of Jesus' ministry during the final Passover week before the crucifixion of Jesus. So remember the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they often convey very similar information. And John has a lot of new information, the Gospel of John. And so John's the only gospel that records this cleansing of the temple at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. It's interesting, isn't it, that apparently he bookended his ministry with these two cleansings and that they both occurred during the Passover week is kind of interesting, too. So um, he says here, the historical circumstances and literary contexts of the two temple cleansings differ so widely that attempts to equate the two are unsuccessful. Furthermore, that two cleansings occurred is entirely consistent with the overall context of Jesus' ministry. For the Jewish nation as a whole never recognized Jesus' authority as Messiah. Instead, they rejected his message as well as his person, making such repeated cleansing of the temple highly probable as well as necessary. So, and then in verse 14, the footnote here says, it's talking about those who were selling and the money changers. It says, during the celebration of Passover... Worshippers came from all over Israel and the Roman Empire to Jerusalem. Because many traveled large distances, it was inconvenient to bring their sacrificial animals with them. Opportunistic merchants, seeing a chance to provide a service, and probably eyeing considerable profit during this time, set up areas in the outer courts of the temple in order for travelers to buy animals. The money changes were needed because the temple tax paid annually by every conscientious Jewish male 20 years of age or older had to be in Jewish or Tyrian coinage because of its high purity of silver. Those coming from foreign lands would need to exchange their money into the proper coinage for the tax. The money changers charged a high fee for the exchange. Wow. With such a large group of travelers and because of the seasonal nature of the celebration, both the animal dealers and money changers exploited the situation for monetary gain. Religion had become crass and materialistic. Wow. Can you imagine? Like, let's just pause real quick and let's think about our current church culture, okay? Imagine your church, the body that you meet in. Imagine that you guys have some festival that you have every, let's say Christmas, okay? Christmas is usually a big deal in most churches. And you're going to have a cantata and everyone needs to bring a fruitcake, okay? This isn't a very good example. I'm just saying like, imagine. <laughs> and let's imagine that to facilitate people who maybe didn't have time to go to the store, we will have fruitcakes we'll be selling in the auditorium, but they are triple the price that you would purchase it at the store. And then we have to have not only fruitcakes for the service, but you also have to come in with a $50 bill in your billfold because we only accept 50s for the offering on Christmas. I mean, this is ludicrous. I'm just trying to give you an illustration of how ridiculous this scenario was. So then we also have a table set up in the narthex in the foyer for, of our church where you can exchange your cash for a $50 bill. However, we charge you 12% to exchange uh, whatever cash you have for that 50 or we charge you, you know, $10 to change over your 50 for you. I mean, that is ridiculous. Not only are you setting up, and this is like a terrible example, but like, can you imagine like conducting business like that and conducting dishonest business in God's house? I mean, this is just ludicrous. And not only were the religious leaders allowing it, 
they seem to be upset when Jesus drives them out. It's like they're part of their group. Like, it's just crazy. I just can't even imagine. So Jesus, of course, is filled with righteous indignation. So it says he found in the temple courts those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated in the temple courts. Not even like outside in case you needed it when you go in the temple, but actually in the temple itself. And he made a whip of cords. I love the idea here because it's not like he grabbed a chair and started running around chasing everybody. He goes and makes a whip of cords. He probably went and purchased materials to make this whip. Just the intentionality regarding the cleansing of the temple, the fact that he was angry, but that he was anger under control and it was righteous anger, and that he took the time to produce the tool needed to have the desired effect, right? I mean, he goes and makes a whip of cords. It says, and drove them all out of the temple courts, both the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to the one selling the doves, he said, take these things away from here. Do not make my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And that was a prophecy regarding the Messiah that was in Psalm 69, verse 9, according to our app. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us because you are doing these things? He shouldn't have to show you a sign. <laughs> like he, That was a sign. <laughs> he, ch- he chased you guys out because you made this into a, a commerce. This is God's house. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? So they're very scoffing here and just kind of, you can see them dismissing what he's saying. It says in verse 21, though, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. And when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the saying that Jesus had spoken. It's really cool that even this early in Jesus' ministry, he knows exactly what's going to happen to him and what the end result's going to be and that he's going to die for the sins of the world and that he will be raised again. And that these men are scoffing at this when actually this is something that will occur and Jesus knows it will occur. It says, verse 23, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, Many believed in his name because they saw his signs, which he was doing. That's interesting. So he was doing some things that we don't even know about that aren't recorded here in John. But what we do know is that, you know, he caused a ruckus when he cleaned out that temple. But Jesus himself did not entrust himself to them, to these people that were believing in his name, because he knew all people and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There's quite an inference in this passage about Jesus not trusting himself to them because he knows people. I think that's interesting because, you know, we're really given the idea here that these are people interested in the speculation regarding his ministry. They're interested in the tumult he's causing. They're interested in the fact that he's shaking things up, right? And he's doing something that no one's ever done before. There's like that flash in the pan fascination people have that makes them want to stop and, you know, watch something occur that they haven't seen before. And in this situation, Jesus knows that there is like very little genuine belief in him at this point. It's more just 
people being interested in what he can do, almost like he's a magician or something. And so he's not trusting himself to them. And there's a part of to Jesus' ministry that you can see that he is very, he seems to keep the cards close to his chest when it comes to different parts of himself and why, even when people are asking him direct questions. And I think a lot of it has to do with this. Jesus is not entrusting himself to people. He knows that they're not genuinely believing or asking out of a desire to believe. And so he is, you know, not as forthright with those people. And so it's interesting. So then we get into chapter three, and John three is a very important chapter in your Bible. You probably have heard multiple verses from this over the years, even if you don't read a Bible and are not familiar with what God's word says. And the famous John three sixteen comes from this chapter. It is where Nicodemus is talking to Jesus. Nicodemus was a religious leader. And so we will be getting into that in our next lesson. I don't want to start without being able to to really give it what it needs. So we'll end this one a little bit early and we'll be right back in lesson 20 to talk about John 3 and Nicodemus.